You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, thank you guys for coming out today. I'm just going to quickly introduce myself before we pray. Uh, my name is Liz Scribner. I'm wife of Charlie Scribner and mother of Elizabeth and Charlotte and Charles. Um, and I just wanted to say before we start that this church is very special for my family. Um, in 2010, my husband and I um, suffered a period of grief. We lost our son. And just the outpouring of love that we received um, really began my journey into trying to understand the power of Thanksgiving in my life. And I hope that I can share some of that research with you today. Um, so, uh, Father, let us pray. Um, Father, we just praise you for the gift of life. And we ask you if there's anyone in this room today, myself included, who is struggling to be thankful and fighting the demons of anger, bitterness, or discontent, please, Father, through the divine and holy intervention of your spirit, please put praise and thanksgiving into our hearts so that we can experience the joy of salvation and the peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen. Um, so I, you all have a handout. And... Um, I wanted to kind of start with this opening picture um, because I think this is where our focus should be. But you'll see in italics under the title, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And um, there's a book, Anne Voskamp, it's called 1,000 Gifts. It's a great book. And what she has to say about this is that um, because Eucharisteo is how Jesus at the Last Supper, showed us how to transfigure all things, take the pain that is given, give thanks for it, and transform it into a joy that fulfills all emptiness. Um, And I just think it's really powerful to think about Jesus on the night before his death, knowing the pain and the suffering that he was about to endure, being an example of thanksgiving for us. Um, And so that's why I wanted to start with that image for you. That word that I said, eucharisteo, is the Greek word for he gave thanks. Um, and it has its roots in the word charis, which means joy, and kara, uh, sorry, charis is grace, and kara, which means joy. And uh, St. Augustine said about joy, without exception, all try their hardest to reach the same goal. That is joy. And I, what I'm going to try to outline for you today is that Praise and thanksgiving are our vehicles to joy um, and salvation. And just to kind of underscore the importance of that word in the Bible, um, the word thanksgiving appears in the Bible 43 times. The word thanks appears 144 times. The word thank appears 178 times. And the word praise appears 274 times. And the word turkey appears zero times. (laughs) Uh, I had to add that in there. Um, Okay, another famous theologian, um, Albert Schweitzer, he said in his book, uh, Reverence for Life, for which he won the Nobel Peace Prize, The greatest thing is to give thanks for everything. He who has learned this knows what it means to live. He has penetrated the whole mystery of life, giving thanks for everything. Um, So what I'm going to walk you through now are just some bullet points that I've found that have helped me understand Thanksgiving. And I'm going to give you the stick first, um, which is the dangers of thanklessness. Um, Before I do that, though, I am going to offer a quick caveat. 
um, I am really no expert on practicing this. I've researched it, um, but I'll just kind of paint a little picture for you. Um, and this happens, you know, weekly. Um, so, you know, my whole family can be sitting around the dinner table eating a bounty of takeout because who has time to cook? And suddenly my three-year-old is horsing around, spills his drink. My older girls start arguing about who loves unicorns more. And my husband doesn't get up quick enough to grab the rag to clean up the mess. And next thing you know, I'm ticked off at everybody in my family. Um, you know, my four greatest blessings. And, um, you know, there's no Thanksgiving there in those moments. It's just anger and disappointment. And, um, you know, for me, sometimes thanklessness is my default. And I'm, I, I've realized that about myself, and which is why I have to work at it. And so let's let's talk about why we need to work at it. So you'll see under this heading here, there's uh, three boxes I have for you. These are just what some famous theologians have said about thanksgiving or thanklessness. So Paul connected the sin of thanklessness with idolatry, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. John Stott even calls it the unconscious blasphemy against God, a rejection of his gift of grace. And then Tim Keller says, our grumbling tells all those longing for more to look somewhere other than God for satisfaction. And it's really a human condition. Um, if you go back to just the beginning of humanity, Adam and Eve in the garden, you can see this uh, discontent and the temptation for more plaguing us from the very beginning. And so let's just go back to the fall in Genesis 3, and there's the serpent's lie. He says to Eve, did God actually say you must not eat of the tree? For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that temptation is around us everywhere to want more, to be dissatisfied with what we have. And then what does Eve do? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some, and then she ate it. And what I've come to believe is that Thanksgiving is part of our armor against that temptation and that sin that is always crouching at, that, at our door. And when I had talked about Paul, let's go now and look at Romans 121. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce um, also paints a really good image of this. Um, and when I read this, I was a little bit frightened because I saw a lot of myself in it, honestly. Um, but what I'm about to read to you, um, and I'm no theater major, but I'm going to do my best to be in character, is um, what uh, this visitor to hell is witnessing of a woman who has been sentenced to hell. And we think of criminals, you know, murderers, um, rapists, I mean, I can name the whole gamut, being the, the occupants of hell, but he's surprised to find this poor soul in hell. This is, how, this is how she talks. Oh, my dear, I've had such a dreadful time. I don't know how ever I got here. I was coming with Eleanor Stone, and we had arranged the whole thing, and we were to meet at the corner of Sink Street. I had made it perfectly plain because I knew what she was like. And if I told her once, I told her a hundred times, I would not meet her outside of that dreadful Marjorie Banks woman's house. 
not after the way she treated me. That was one of the most dreadful things that happened to me. I have been dying to tell you because I felt for sure you'd tell me I had acted rightly. No, wait a minute, dear. Wait till I've told you. I tried living with her. When I first came, it was all fixed up, and she was to do the cooking, and I was going to look after the house. And I did think I was going to be comfortable after all that I had been through. But she turned out to be so changed, absolutely selfish, not a particle of sympathy for anyone but herself. And I once said to her, I do think I'm entitled to a little consideration because you at least lived out your time. But I oughtn't to have been here for years and years. But of course, I'm forgetting you don't know. I was murdered, simply murdered, dear. That man should have never operated. I ought to still be alive today. And they just simply starved me in that dreadful nursing home. And no one ever came near me. And the shrill, monotonous whine died away as the speaker, still accompanied by the bright patients at her side, moved out of hearing. And then this is what the man who's witnessing all of this says. The teacher says to him, what troubles you, son? And he says, I am troubled, sir, because that unhappy creature doesn't seem to me to be the sort of soul that ought to be in danger of damnation. She isn't wicked. She's just silly. A garrulous old woman who has gotten to the habit of grumbling. And one feels that a little kindness and rest and change would put her all right. Um, And I feel like I'm good at reading that because that's just, like I said, my default sometimes. And... um, What C.S. Lewis later says about this scene, he says, Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may criticize it in in yourself and wish that you could stop it, but there may come a day when you no longer can, and then there will be no no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, because the grumble itself going on because it's just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing, which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Um, and when I read that, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm the kind of person that needs the stick first. Like, I need to be kind of scared into, to, you know, changing. <laughs> um so now let's go to the carrot. And this is a picture of, of how Thanksgiving saves. Um, and I'll, I'll point you to Psalm 50. I didn't put the whole thing in there. But if you read it, it, it really is a story and it should be read in, in its entirety. But it's a picture of salvation um, through Thanksgiving. And one of the verses I've quoted here, and this is God speaking. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Um, So there's two things that stand out to me in this verse. Uh, Not only the picture of, of sacrificing thanksgiving being what is going to glorify us, But also that first phrase, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Because you know the Israelites, the way they sacrificed was animal sacrifice. And we always think that we have to give things to God, you know, give time, do work. Um, And those things are important. But what he's saying is, is, you know, everything belongs to me. The only thing you have left to give to God is your thanksgiving for what he's given you. Um, 
And, and then he goes on. This is the last verse in that psalm. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And I create this little visual here. Um, so we see, we talked about Eve in the garden. And she was experiencing discontent. She had to have the apple, um, which I'm calling non-Eucharisteo. And then there's the fall. And then um, there's salvation. And that's where we give thanks for the gift of grace. Um, because we know that we are liberated now. Jesus has liberated us from all sin and death. And so all we have to do is just be thankful for what we have. I mean, he has fought the good fight. And... Um, I'm going to actually talk about Jesus now. I know I haven't done that that much. Um, But there is a really great parable in Luke 17. It's when Jesus heals the ten men with leprosy. And this story is in uh, one of my children's um, little kid Bible books. And And I like to read it to them and emphasize what I think is most important But um, if you remember the story, there are ten men that Jesus encounters, and they all have leprosy. And he heals them all. He says, go and show the priests your hands. You know, you know, I don't think he even tells them they've been, he's been, they've been healed. He just says, go and show the priests your hands. Um, well, one of them, just one out of ten, when he saw that he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. And, and he was a Samaritan. thought it was interesting that the Bible points this out. Uh, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Um, so, we, you know, we think about all ten of these men being physically healed. But only the one man who came back and thanked Jesus was the one that was made spiritually whole. Um, so that's the, the carrot. Okay, that's the the reward for Thanksgiving, so to speak. Though I hate to phrase it that way. Um, but then it's like, well, how do we get there? You know, it's, it's one thing to say, don't be thankless or you're going to end up here or be thankful and you get this. But what's really, how do we walk that? And that's where, you know, I had to do a lot of research. Um, and I'll kind of share with you what I learned starting on page three. We're doing good on time. So how can we be thankful and not grumblers? And the first bullet I have here is to sing. Um, So I I often sing to my children, you know, and I feel like it's a great way to just kind of change the tone of a situation. Um, My kids all sing a lot. Often I'll hear them in their cribs at night singing. Uh, My little three-year-old, his favorite song is The Wheels on the Bus Go Round and Round. Anything. I mean, I just think it can, you can't be singing and be a grumbling. It's just so. Um, and, and what does the Bible have to say about singing? So Ephesians 5:15 through 20, it says, "Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery." Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then Psalm 100, if you ever, um, you know, the psalm, they're supposed to be sung. So if you're just looking for a verse to read to help you feel more thankful, I think Psalm 100 is a great one. It's a psalm for giving grateful praise. So I just put that in there as a reference, and you can go back and turn to it in your Bibles later if you um, need a little help. Um, Bullet number two is just do not be anxious. And um, I think that habits of anxiety and anger and fear, um, they make us vulnerable to temptation and this discontent that we often feel, and they keep us from the gift of God's grace. Um, There is the parable of the sower uh, in Luke 8, 14. Jesus warns about the seed that fell among the thorns. It's representing those who have heard the gospel. But as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. And the word worries means to be anxious. Um, And I can relate to this. Uh, I know some of you came in uh, late, and a lot of you all know me quite well. Um, But after we lost our son, um, it was our first child, and he was stillborn. And um, I really went through a year of just anxiety and, and, and fear and, and sadness and not understanding God's plan for me and thinking I would never have children. And so um, I really struggled with that. And I think, you know, it was th- this verse especially, uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And, and I had my husband actually reading this to me over and over again when I was in labor with our, our third and he got so old that he started picking different versions. He'd be like, let's do Old English now. <laughs> NIV, <laughs> NSV, and they were all great. Um, but this, this verse I turn to again and again whenever I'm feeling anxious. This is Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. And this next verse I like a lot because um, part of anxiety is just focusing our, our, our hearts and our thoughts on things that bring us fear and stress. And so this next verse um, is telling us to to not do that and to focus on, on, I'll just read it, because Paul says it best. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, So sing, do not be anxious, and... um, The third thing I have here um, is to seek the kingdom of God. Um, And so this is a pretty long verse here. I probably won't read the whole thing. But uh, this is similar to what Jesus is saying in the parable of the sower. And he's talking about, you know, why do you need to be anxious in your life? Look at how I take care of the birds. Look at how I take care of the valleys and the lilies of the valley. You know, if I'm going to take care of these animals, surely I will take care of you. And, and then in the, what he, the way he ends this verse, instead of worrying, he says, instead, seek the kingdom. And all of these things that, that you are instead seeking, 
they'll be added to you. Um, and I, I definitely found that to be true. I mean, when I turned my mind away from just, I need to get pregnant again, I, I want to have kids, and I was just like, Lord, your will be done. I had three kids. Now they're driving me crazy. <laughs> um, so, uh, and you know, focusing on the kingdom is, is where we need to keep our gaze. And I have a lot, actually, on this topic here. Um, Matthew 14, you know, when Jesus takes the five loaves and the fish, and it's funny how these little phrases pop out at you when you're looking for them. Before he breaks the bread and feeds the 5,000, he looks up to heaven and he gives thanks. Before he does anything. And John Stott says, Our gaze should be so constantly upward that all of life is at once reflected as by a mirror to the throne. And Matthew says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Um, And then there's this other just great story from the Old Testament. As the Israelites were wandering in the desert, um, they started grumbling. They were discontent. Uh, you know, they, they were tired of eating manna that just appeared out of nowhere for them every day. I guess they got tired of the taste. And they started saying, we want to go back to Israel, I mean, to Egypt, you know, where we were slaves, but we had meat uh, served every night and, and a warm bed to sleep in. And so God curses them, and they're all snake bit. And, he's, and then he tells Moses to um, create, it was a bronze snake, and to put it in the middle of their camp. And whoever looks on the snake will suddenly be cured of the venomous snake bite. And um, this is again referenced in John. He, he's talking about, he's comparing this snake lifted up in the wilderness, the bronze snake, to the Son of Man who saves us when we look to him. And what John says is, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then Anne Vascontz, I had quoted her earlier, she says, how we look determines how we live, if we live. Uh, So again, focusing our sight on God. Um, And, you know, again, I I know I'm telling you a lot of things, and I I definitely want to end with the most important. It's one thing to say, do this, do this, do this, but sometimes it's just hard. And we get caught up in the daily trials of life, and sometimes all we can do is just pray. And we have to know that God is going to hear us in these moments. And um, I've got some you know, verses here for you, if that's where you are in your life. But when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Um, and then in Psalm 116, I, I love that, that psalm, verses 1 through 2, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Um, And then verses 8 through 9. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Um, And then just this last story I wanted to tell uh, is from the Old Testament. So the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Um, Hagar was uh, forced to lie with her, her owner, Abraham, by his wife, Sarah, because Sarah was impatient that she had waited so long for the birth of her promised son, um, Isaac. 
And so, you know, Hagar, if you, you want to think about what this woman's life had, may have been like, was a slave, you know, used pretty much for, and then have her child taken away from her. Sarah and Abraham raised Ishmael. And then finally, Sarah gives birth to Isaac, and she gets really jealous of Ishmael because Ishmael is not her son. And she sees Abraham spending time with Ishmael and Isaac. And so she finally tells Abraham, I just, you're just going to have to send him away. I can't bear to have this woman and, and this son living under my roof. And so they send Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert. I mean, with nothing but like a skin of water. And um, it says here, when the water in the skin was gone, this is this mother, she's just about to watch her child die. She can't even watch it. She puts him under the bushes, and she she went a distance away, and she said, let me not look on the death of my child, and she's weeping, and suddenly she hears a voice, and she looks up, and there's this angel who has come down to her, and he says to her, what has troubled you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast in your hand. For I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, and she gave the boy a drink. Um, And that just brings me chills to think about sometimes when I read that story. And I think about God hearing the cries of his people. And he will hear our our cries. Um, And, okay, I've got a little bit of time. I had one more bullet point that I didn't put on here, and I kind of just brought it as a visual. Um, keep reminders around of like what God has done for you. And so I have this, you know, not particularly high quality picture that my husband and I took of my three children sitting next to the gravestone of my son in the garden outside. Not going to be a but inside of it, I have these pictures of us like on the first day of my children's birth, and. Um, you know, you just have to go and remind yourself of, like, what he's done for you. Because otherwise you just get so caught up in life. And um, I have another funny story before I get all into tears here. <laughs> but um, so a couple years ago, um, I was in the car on the way to the Lice place to get treatment. <laughs> to get treatment for my daughter and myself. And meanwhile, my son's at home with a double ear infection. And I was like, you know, just kind of one of those worst days ever. And I, I listened to Christian radio and this song came on. And, and the lyrics are, I'm going home where the streets are golden and every chain is broken. And I think about this, uh, this analogy kind of popped into my head at the time. Um, this analogy of life and our salvation in Christ. And so just imagine with me, if you will, that you are on your way to like your ideal vacation, okay? So for me, it'd be like a tropical paradise, five-star service, 24-7 childcare option, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and, um, and you were just so excited that, you know, your luggage could be lost, you know, you could have your flight delayed three hours, there's a baby screaming on your flight the whole way, but you don't care because you are just going to this awesome place and you're going to be there for like two whole weeks, okay? And so whatever that dream may be for you, heaven is just going to be so much better. 
And we're, and I think of our life being like this, we're all on this plane together. And some days, you know, it might feel like we're in first class. Some days it might be like, oh, we're sitting next to the bathroom and in coach. And, but, and they ran out of peanuts. <laughs> but, um, at the end of the day, I mean, we're all on the same plane, you know, as followers in Christ. And we're just going to this place that's going to be just going to blow our mind. It's better than we could have ever dreamed. And we're not going to need 24-7 childcare because our kids are just going to be so well-behaved, you know. <laughs> and we're not going to need service because we're not going to, you know, need all these things that we need now in this life. And um, and so I think I was, you know, as, on the way to Life's Place, I heard this song, and I was like, this is, this is fine. I'll get through this, <laughs> you know. And I think when we're having those moments, it's just good to know where we're headed, I think. So, um, and if anyone wants to come up later and look at my little treasure, you're welcome to do that. There, there's one little picture in there um, that my daughter, when she looks at it, it was when my son was born. And, um, you know, we had lost a son and had two daughters who were amazing, but it just always felt like there was that boy that was missing. And and we, we didn't find out what we were having. Um, so when he was born... The nurses and doctor didn't say anything. They let me look, and of course I saw. And I was like, it's Charles! We named him after my husband. And there's this picture of me weeping. And my daughter was like, why are you sad? And I'm like, those are tears of joy. And, and I'm looking up, and I'm just weeping, and I'm holding him. And it's that I just look at that picture, and I'm just like, I know God is taking care of me. And he's taking care of all of y'all, too. So um, we'll just close in prayer. Um, Father, thank you so much um, for the opportunity uh, to teach on Thanksgiving today. Um, Lord, I just ask you to bless all of the people in this room today as we head into this busy week ahead and this busy season. Help us to keep our sight on you, Lord, and to be filled with praise for all of the gifts you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.